Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Gateway, brought to you by the Northern Illinois University College of Business, where your future is without boundaries and our approach is too. I'm joined with my incredible co-host, as always, Dr. Biagio Palese. Hello, Biagio. Ciao a tutti. Welcome. Welcome to this episode. So today's episode, Cyber Warfare in the Modern Era, we have our friend and first returning guest of the podcast, Arvin Verma. Arvin is an NIU graduate that brings over a decade of experience in a multitude of cyber facets, including information assurance, risk management, and IT innovation. During his vibrant career, Arvin has worked across numerous industries and for several Fortune 500 companies. Currently, Arvin is a cyber risk manager at Abbott while also serving the U.S. Navy Reserves as a direct commission officer as a cryptological warfare officer, which I think for this topic uh, is absolutely perfect. So Arvin, welcome. Thank you so much for coming back and, and hanging out with us today. It's always great to chat with you both and uh, get to geek out on, on cyber topics. So thanks for having me back. <laughs> Perfect. That's exactly what we're here for. So I want to I want to start because I think I think cyber warfare and when we say that term, it, it, it conjures up a lot of science fiction and, and, and movies and novels and all of that stuff. But um, sadly, with, with the occurrences that are going on in our world right now, we, we are we are dealing with real uh, threats of cyber warfare. So can you give us just a kind of a broad definition of what that is, what cyber warfare is? Yeah, absolutely. As always, everything that I state is my own opinion, has no reflection on any of my employers, agencies I've worked with, um, the United States uh, Department of Defense or Department of Navy, all opinions are my own, standard legalese. Um, so cyber warfare, it, you know, it is relatively in its infancy. Um, when we look back in the day, you know, when the movie Hackers from, from our time, you know, it was more about like, hey, can we do this for the sake of showing showing off? And and that's where Anonymous and Script Kitties started acting out into a lot of these uh, different activities. Uh, but when it became to being used as, you know, I don't want to say a kinetic form of warfare, you know, and go down that path, but if it being used in a malicious form to deny, disrupt, degrade, as what we say, um, that's where we begin to see the considerations of what is considered an act of war. So we have to look into those level of considerations when we're seeing a cyber effect. Now, it still is a very loosely defined terminology of, of what that is and what the ramifications are. Um, unfortunately, you know, our, we still have not defined what that level effect is going to be. Uh, we've seen infiltrations to the power grid. We've seen infiltrations into our uh, water treatment plants. Uh, we've seen, you know, in like say um, in the Italian job, you know, they're going and shutting down the the traffic lights. Um, and yeah, there might be some accidents, and we kind of look at it as you know hearsay and and you know, laugh along along with the theme of the movie. But what is a larger impact from that? from the you know the global economics pr perspective and then who is the actual agent that's causing it cyber warfare has really changed from these little individual groups to countries using this as in the same way as the the nuclear bomb was was created they're using it as a way to drive certain effects certain capabilities um, and sometimes it's either a direct response or an indirect response um, you know, for example, one thing that we saw was when um, Russia began, began invading Ukraine, uh, Chinese government sent some jets into Taiwan, right? How can this be used as a way to drive um, a distraction? So that's really where it's going. I mean, there's a lot more facets um, within cyber warfare, but at, at a very, very broad level, that's what it comes down to. I kind of want to jump into this because you brought it up. Uh, anonymous to the conversation and one of the questions I wanted to ask you is uh, I mean given like the, the kind of statement that they made on Twitter was uh, what's your opinion on that like what can be the impact of an external group like anonymous in jumping into this type of conflicts and what can be the consequences for for the rest of us yeah you know it's interesting you bring that question because I've been running some uh 
some efforts through some other partnerships that I have. And it, it's very dangerous for, for a couple of reasons. One, you don't know what the emotional mindset is of these individuals when they are initiating these actions. You know, one thing I've, I've harped on my entire career is these actions are not being done because someone wants to do it. There is an emotional factor that is driving this. So once you understand that, it gets it's a little bit easier to get in the mindset of why they're doing it. When Anonymous came in, I'm like, you know, I followed them for many, many years. I understand what they're doing. I some folks say they're not ethical. Others say they are I'm in the middle where they're borderline ethical, not ethical. I mean, I understand some of the good that they're trying to do. But the uh, the scenario that I've been building is how can this be used as a way um, along with the disinformation campaign that we see typically come out of Russia? Could this be spun up in a way to how the Russian government could say, you did this to us, therefore we're going to respond back in this type of commensurate form, right? That's why CISA put out shields up and that's where we began putting a lot of these protection capabilities. Um, just yesterday, I was doing a brief with my um, fellow FBI partners and, and my uh, sector chiefs with InfraGuard um, so that we're able to understand and immediately report when you know an organization is being hit with something and we don't know what it is, we can immediately get the right authorities in place. So it, it is going to be in a very dangerous area, but unfortunately, we haven't set those those rules and regulations, right? Cyber occurs globally. The United Nations, in my opinion, has not done enough of a job to really effectively define those standards. Um, I mean, United States, we have that. That's where we have the, you know, the Cyber Fraud and Abuse Act, and then we have the FBI that, that oversees it. But is there something from a national level that, you know, say Interpol or the United Nations could oversee? And that's where it gets into complexities. And that's, and, you know, unfortunately, it's lawyers talking. It's not techies. It's not folks mm -hmm. that are hands on keyboard trying to talk through these intricacies and what are those conditions and things like that. So long story short, uh, yeah, it, it can be very dangerous and it could actually exacerbate situations even worse, um, especially if they don't publicize it, but uh, you never know. You never know what the resulting action is going to be, especially when um, in a situation as this volatile. And another point I wanted to make is, uh, as you were talking is, is that the, the, during the first episode when you came, we kind of did it because we want to make people aware about cyber threats, even just for personal human beings. But uh, in, this, in this area, right, cyber is, is, can be like a tool or a way to actually win war or lose war or, you know, create a reaction that can impact millions of people. And so uh, I guess that's, that's like a testament of the fact that like we should all be more educated on this and we should all more understand the consequences or the different ways that people can, you know, uh, uh, kind of affect our life. You're talking about the Russian uh, doing yep. things or uh, if you think about uh, all the other possible threats that are out there on the internet and people using like even just social media or stuff like that. That's, yeah. um, it's very important that our audience is, is aware of this. Yeah. And like I said, it comes down to deny, disrupt, degrade. Those are the three fundamental principles. How are we using this um, from this effect? And then they can go into further areas like, you know, we're talking about disinformation campaigns, you know, that comes out of the textbook, um, you know, military um, psychological operations handbook that the army put out. It is unclassified. You know, there's some interesting things in there that talk about what they do, but um, we have to we have to operate within due regard to the constitution and those laws right that's that's the difference um with what i've seen typically um from from the 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 russian side is there is a little bit of uh what do we call it gun decking so to say so kind of uh on your own making a decision and uh it's it's quite interesting when you look at um when you're escalating force, right? When you see the videos of the jets buzzing the um, the ships at sea, typically um, they do it as a force of intimidation, right? But they don't understand what the lasting effect is going to be because of that one individual's decision to do that. So just something we need to consider um, as we're looking at cyber becoming this potential kinetic form of warfare. 
Um, Arvin, when you're when you're talking about you know defining what an act of war is uh, or, or or something like that, are are you also kind of touching on on more of like the the rules of engagement and and, and things like that stuff? Is that kind of where you're coming from as well? That's exactly where it is. Uh, we we have to operate within certain regards to how we can respond back, right? So. Going through my training, I've been taught, you know, you don't shoot first unless you've been fired upon, right? You don't want to be the, the mm -hmm. aggressor. You want to be in a, in a state of defense. So similar concept here is we need to understand if this is just some individual doing something stupid. Is this normal traffic like we typically see in a day to day when there are, you know, transactions occurring? Or is this truly something that is denying, disrupting, just degrading our capability to do what we need to do? And that and that those particular thresholds have not been defined. Um, you know, we, we've had, if you recall from the last conversation, we've had two deaths as a result of ransomware attacks uh, mm -hmm. that have affected hospitals in the UK. That's it. I mean, hopefully that's that's where it stays. But unfortunately, it will go up. Uh, we, we know that's going to happen. Question is, how is that going to happen? Is that going to be from um, the mass chaos that occurs from, um, say, a nation state shutting down our energy and therefore uh, shutting down the the traffic lights and and preventing emergency vehicles from supporting um, mm -hmm. getting patients to the hospital or you know uh, shut, like what we saw with the um, the pipeline uh, incident um, what was that um, there's so many I don't even remember <laughs> remember all the names now at this point but you know then you start going into like okay redundancy based operations how do you continue well we don't have you know diesel fuel or gas to supply our generators what do we do now right so mm -hmm. it keeps on compounding 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 but what is that limit you're going to accept before you effectively respond back does does cyber warfare uh and and this type of i guess we could say attack um is it is it more affordable does does it allow things that could be detrimental um, to a government, to a community? Um, does it allow it to spread to more potential people? So let me define it a little bit more. If I need an, you know, an F-16 to go literally do a strike or something like that, whatever it is, or a bomb, like there's a lot of investment. There's a lot of money that has to come to it. If I do a cyber attack, does it still need to have the same amount of infrastructure to do a, a large scale kind of damage? Or is this something that like you always think of the person in the basement that shuts down, you know, or breaks into a, a database or something like that? Does, does that kind of translate? Yeah, I'll say it will depend on what is the effect that we are looking for. Um, there have been some activities I've been involved in that I unfortunately cannot speak about where it is very, very targeted. It is very, very specific. Um, it does have to go through the same level of approvals as we would if we were going to be putting combat power. Um, but from that infrastructure perspective, it depends, right? It could okay. be as easy as, okay, we're sniffing a port on, on a network somewhere in a, some other country and we have a potential opportunity to, to deploy a payload versus we're putting time and resources into, you know, heads, boots on ground, heads together in, in war rooms, trying to figure out, okay, how do we break into this particular network to drive XYZ action, right? It, it really just depends on what are we trying to do. But once again, we have to operate within very, very specific bounds of the law and ensure what we are doing falls within that, you know, appropriate level of, of what we're trying to do. Because we can't just go in and just say, we don't like this country. We're just going to shut down their yeah. um, their power grid, right? That that would be a, <laughs> that just would open up a whole other you know can of worms. But yeah. say if there was something that we were trying to do because of something you know something else. I'm trying to keep this very vague. Yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> um, you know, and we're trying to drive a very very specific action. We can go ahead and do that, and as a result, that'd be a very very specific action, and it would not be very broad access. If we're doing something broad, there's already intent there that we're going to be doing other things as well. Arvid, I'm gonna, then let me re reframe this question a little bit because a lot of the actions that are being done against specifically Russia right now from a global perspective have first at least been sanctions, economic yeah. ones trying to impact that, the oligarchy limiting their, their actual monetary ability, which at some point, if you 
can't pay people, you know, you, you don't have fighters, yeah. you can't buy warplanes, all that stuff, tanks, things like that. Um, in cyber warfare is one person in Russia with a laptop just as potentially um, viable th- of a threat as a tank or something. You, you get kind of the, the yeah. reverse of um, Yes and no. And, and I say that with, with a mixed response because you don't know who the individual is and what their level of resources backing is. Who else are they connected with? Ah. So I'm sure you heard of the Russian business network, right? You have yeah. one person there. They just put a request out. It can be one person that now becomes 10,000 people, right? And then you ah. have a lot of funding. So Russia is a whole different game when it comes to, you know, how cyber is being done. And then, you know, you have the, the, the Chinese government where they have a dedicated, you know, war, cyber warfare unit uh, based out of Beijing. Um, but once again, it depends on what is the effect. What we're seeing with the sanctions, yes, I expect that we will be getting some significant um, activity on our network. Luckily, you know, Microsoft and a lot of our service providers are, are watching that traffic and trying to um, reduce the amount of impact that's going to come through um, into the US and some of the other countries. But once again, it's going to be driven based on on emotion, right? They're going to get frustrated that they can't do it. So they're going to, it's not going to be one person. It's eventually going to be hundreds of people getting together to be able to respond back. What's different about this is most of the Russian people are actually against this war. So I think that's where we're going to see some, some interesting activities occur, where if we see the deny, disrupt, degrade occurring, I think we might see some, you know, uh, some commensurate response coming back from the Russian people of itself to ensure things are occurring. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is all all speculation at this of point, course. right? But yeah, I mean, it, this is I mean, it, this is not a typical situation that you would see. If it was the entire Russian people supporting this, or uh, you had China and Russia partnering together, you could go down the rabbit hole. You can go down multiple different paths, but I, I don't think it's going to get to that you know level. That's why we do perceive the uh, drive these sanctions and some of these efforts because mm-hmm. it is non kinetic. It's, it's it's designed to be a deterrent to say, hey, you need to stop doing this more and more. Um, and unfortunately, traditional warfare is still very you know pull the trigger. It's not so much. Um, it's it's not as automated as you think because at the end of the day, if everything goes down, just say, hey, go that way go, you know, go put rounds down that direction and, you know, go call it effective, right? As, as cryptic as that is, but I yeah. mean, it's, yeah. it's that simple. So, I mean, yeah, we're using technology to do a lot of different things to drive our, our intelligence and, you know, with some of the things that we're talking about where they were able to detect the um, different um, assets that were being positioned around Ukraine, right? It helps provide visibility and awareness, but do we ultimately need it? Not really, because there, there's yeah. we have more lethal capabilities that we're able to, to execute on. Mm-hmm. Well, and when you're talking about uh, lethality within that stuff, I, I've been reading a little bit about like the progression of, of warfare over over literally humanity's time. And and some of the things that I was reading and looking into was talking about like the seventh generation of warfare, meaning like this this more um, I guess you could say, for lack of a better term, passive or less kinetic, like you, you've kind of determined. Do you see that um, this conflict and this war could potentially be kind of that first real step towards, as maybe these tanks kind of go out, that it, it, it does mainly switch to more of that cyber warfare and one other one with that? Do you think that will be safer for civilians in Ukraine? Do you think less people will die if it's attacking you know, banks and things like that. I, and I know these are all opinions. I'm just, yeah. <laughs> um, so to answer your first question, it's already been happening. It just hasn't huh. been this publicized. Um, best example is, is Stuxnet. Yes. Right. Yes. Right. We, we don't talk about Stuxnet, but that is the perfect example of where cyber warfare was effectively utilized. Arvin, can you define, can you ex- explain that for, for some of our listeners if they, if they're not aware? <laughs> yeah. So let me see how much, cause once again, you know, been embedded in too much. <laughs> um, so can, essentially, 
say what I know if if you're if you're yeah. So I mean, in a nutshell, there was a payload that was deployed by by a certain entity that had uh, disrupted the ability for the Iranians to enrich uranium. Let's just leave it at that. There there are some other intricacies and other things that went on, but that is the perfect example of cyber warfare because we saw a potential um, for an impact to national security. So this this individual acted on it, right? A proactive defensive move basically yes we'll we'll, yeah. we'll say defensive i won't say proactive um because okay. that'll okay. that'll open up some some more legal questions right because what is proactive you know what could russia have done something to shut down the the you know the five eyes program to be able to um degrade the ability for us to detect the 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 asset building right this is where it comes you into keep play up all these like you just went stuck and then you went five eyes on me and i'm just sitting <laughs> here like okay so now we gotta go through that again too right but so five eyes is essentially a, a partnership between um several countries so uh united states canada um england new zealand and australia and essentially it's uh intelligence information sharing uh position uh if you really want to understand what i did in uniform there's a show called uh pine gap it's on netflix super awesome show that'll kind of give you a, a little bit of an overview <laughs> yeah strong recommendation yeah. it'll give you somewhat of an overview of of what what i what i did um but you know you look at all this and, and you see how does this help drive defense and that's where we're you know we're seeing that this effect is going to be expanding more and more in terms of this driving more of that effort um i don't know uh the situation is still too volatile and it's still not enough where i think it's going to be used um as heavily because our adversaries also know what we have that mm. that's one thing um but can they use it? Yes. Um, there was actually um, a video that I just saw that was released by the FBI, hasn't been released to the public yet, but it was talking about the uh, the Chinese government and their five-year plans and what they're doing, right? So there could be some potential um, interesting things occurring over the next couple of years with that, and as we see um, great power competition and uh, mm -hmm. some of these activities growing up. Obviously, this really changes a lot of things, but um, we will see. Right. There's a lot of deterrence. You know, we have NATO, we have um, not only Five Eyes, we have a lot of alliances with, with different countries, the European Union Alliance, things like that. There's other ways around it where we don't have to resort to, to cyber warfare. To your point about it being less lethal, um, lethality goes out, out of the way when you act in that particular manner. That's always been my opinion. You're doing something with a certain effect and you're you know what the effect is going to be regardless of if it you know doesn't hit people or does impact people so 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 you're saying let me just so I, I make sure i understand you're saying when you take that action um the if it's lethal or not doesn't matter it, it's it's still the action and correct that's the, that's the it's thing. it's the equivalent of pulling a trigger now where are you aiming your, your pistol, ah, I your see. Rifle. You're still pulling from, the trigger. Yeah, you're still doing it. There's still, you know, an emotional component behind it that's driving that action. Now, you may might not intend it to be lethal, you know, when you're acting in self-defense, but mm -hmm. there's still a resulting action out of that. Wow. You know, and, and that's, yeah. I you know, that's why I say, like, we have to be very, very careful. We have to understand this emotional concept within technology. It's not just typing a bunch of commands and hitting enter, you know. You you hit the water, you know. Then you you know, I was uh, I was out one time. I got an E. coli alert because they evidently the there's a boil order in effect and things like that. And then the situation in Florida where the uh, level of lie was increased because one of their uh, PLCs had malfunctioned. You know, you might be like, oh well, you know, I just changed it. It's not going to have impact. Well, someone drinks that water. What happens? You truly will not know that the the ultimate effect until after. The situation has occurred after some time does that make sense yes yes and and so this this brings up something very interesting to me because specifically with maybe not cyber warfare but hacking and cyber attacks there there are literally people spending time in in jail for taking a, a 
a code and literally, like you said, hitting enter because it was a prank or it was something fun. You know, you wanted to anonymous is, is very yeah. common for, for doing that stuff. And different agencies have come through and said, you cannot do like, you cannot shut things down like that. And now are spending it. Do you spending time in jail? Do you think with a computer, just like trolling just like you you know all of that stuff do you think the the disconnect because it's through a screen makes some of those actions easier um from an individual perspective and then from a government perspective too? yes absolutely okay That's you know it, it's kind of like if you 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 almost have in a sense that you think you're hidden right but you're not i mean there are ways to hide yourself but most folks, you have to do a lot of work and you need to know a lot of things before you can do that. And then even if you're procuring the equipment, you're probably on a list somewhere anyways. So um, yeah. I should have an interesting story about that. A buddy of mine from high school, um, he purchased a, a Comcast mo oh, Motorola modem that was able to tap into Comcast um, and he got free internet. But what was really interesting was he was able to change his MAC address, his IP address, everything. And he was not able to be found. Well, long story short, the FBI found the guy selling the modem because it was going against uh, the terms of service for Comcast. So that's how they caught him. But they didn't know about the uh, the Mac uh, masking and the IP masking until they actually started breaking down the devices. So, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and you think then uh, as governments get involved in this stuff and not even specifically Russia or anything else, some maybe of the smaller ones that the countries that are maybe stepping into it stuff, you, you feel like they can implement some, again, there there's not a, as much of a visceral feeling to an attack, so it might be easier to justify it. So let, let's let's talk about, say, North Korea. Right. Okay. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Great example. You know, like they they do things they're they're in their own little bubble. Right. So they don't have that visibility and awareness that the that the Internet has provided to a lot of us. Right. Social media, um, the news. This has all been able to provide a lot of visibility and awareness to everything that's going on, even, whether it be good or bad. And then, you know, we, we can go into disinformation. What North Korea is, you know, as you know, is they've been ingrained as America is the enemy. They're the devil. That's it. You know, so they already have that ingrained in their philosophy so therefore they're going to act in that manner to say no we're doing it because we hate them once again the emotional component behind it so you have to look at it from that broader perspective to truly understand what is going on in in the in the background like china what they're doing is more on intellectual property theft to drive up their um their gdp that's what it is. Hmm. They're they're investing in a lot of infrastructure, like uh, they're building a lot of um, infrastructure in Africa. And, you know, I was talking to my mom about this. She's like, oh, they're doing a lot of good. I said, no, you don't understand. Like they're building this so that way they can have, you know, essentially rights to the land because they've they've implemented hmm. the infrastructure. Like, look what they did in the South China Sea. They're just trying to expand their reach so they can have more and more um, overarching control when, when they need to decide they have to act. So there's a cyber itself won't be used on its own. It's going to, if it is, it's for a very, very targeted effect. If it's me, if it's something very large is typically connected to something else that's going on. Mm, okay. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Can, can, can it be used as a distraction? I Absolutely. Absolutely. Like in Call of Duty, you know, if there are any gamers listening, you know, they have that one episode where um, they have Russian jets coming from the East Coast and the West Coast. And they're like, no, no, it's not. Um, they're not coming in here. And then they're like, oh, no, no, they're here. They've already invaded, you know, American airspace, right? That's the degrade part of, of the process. Mm -hmm. So absolutely can be used um, as a distraction. Um, many years ago, I wrote a white paper on... Uh, air traffic control vulnerabilities. And the, the question arose around, you know, we're, we're going into these situations where we're getting rid of control towers and they're becoming virtual, right? You have someone in an office and they're staring at, you know, screens that make it look like they're looking out of a control tower and they see aircraft. Now, how could you potentially infiltrate that to make it look that there's something on radar and there's an aircraft landing when it actually isn't and cause mass pandemonium? Right. That is a warfare effect. Yeah. So 
we have to keep it in in consideration to what what are we trying to accomplish what are we trying to deny disrupt degrade you know are we you know to your point are we trying to make a distraction so we're able to reallocate resources in a different area and then you know what is the end game but you know like i said we we have cyber is not the only thing and when you look at the capabilities that a lot of these countries have, especially the ones in NATO and, and the information sharing going on, we have enough information to go like, okay, this is not true. This is not true. So we can come up with decisions very, very quickly to know what exactly is, is the situation. So the, the, the sense of a distraction would be, it could be done, but it'd be very difficult, right? You couldn't say like, oh, the, the Russians are going to invade Alaska when they're going through Ukraine. We just we we just have too many overhead assets where we be able to see that. I I actually Arvin, I had a, a question that that goes on top of this and on top of something you mentioned before. Like so, you say there are some countries that of course invest more money. They have like cyber warfare units. They are like trained in a certain way. Uh, so my question is, and, and, you know, before before cyber and before before technology was so pervasive. Uh, the concept of a war was just, you know, a physical war where you have military that are trained and doing some action. You have guns and, and all these type of weapons, right? Uh, my question is, how easy it is to actually um, create allies in this war? Like, it is as easy as like sending bodies and just joining forces during a war, or, or like, it's, it's complicated. Like, how easy is for you or US to help Ukraine? to protect uh, from a cyber warfare attack from Russia, for example, or if, if it is possible at all. To, it is possible, but it goes in that aspect of diplomacy. And then and I think the reason why we haven't gone in, like what we did with uh, Iraq and Afghanistan is because Ukraine is not part of NATO. And mm -hmm. number two, us going in would be seen as a sign of escalation. Right. Especially when President Putin has declared he's, he wants to use nuclear weapons. Right. How do we deescalate? So that's why the actions being, are being taken. That's why the politicians are getting paid what they get paid. And, you know, they, they do their job. Right. So they're looking at it from that mitigation. But if we do need to work together to drive this effort, yes, th those efforts do exist. There are there. Um, when I was in Denver, um, I was working with a lot of different international partners that were sitting right next to me. So it's there, it can be done. Um, but once again, it has to be within a very, very clear area of the law. I mean, this, this is what it comes down. That's why, you know, five eyes is the one that typically clears a lot of this, um, these activities to occur. Is there, as we're talking about Five Eyes and, and kind of the, those overhead assets, the satellites, all of that stuff, is there um, a technology that you would like to see developed or, or maybe even perfected that for all, for kinetic warp, just in warfare that you're like, this would save lives, prevent this stuff, limit limit a lot of that, or, or is is there something that you don't want to see either? I'll, I'll take the other side of it. Like, please, let's not do that. <laughs> yeah, the overhead part is quite complicated. It has its specific uses. Um, you know, I, I really don't want to go down that path. It just, it gets a little, it gets, it's quite, it gets quite scurly. Um, you know, but also at the same time, I haven't really been embedded with that. Yeah. You know, as yeah. a part of my training, I, I know how to, um, how to utilize them for what we're, we're trying to do from a particular mission perspective. But like I said, each thing has its, its role in, in a, a different activity or, or a different mission. So how do you use all your assets that you have, whether it be computing assets or overhead assets or boots on ground or, you know, tanks or, um, you know, deceiving radars, how do you use that all together to drive, whatever it is in the effect that you're doing. And then as you go further down, you know, uh, the chain of command, it gets very, it gets more and more specific, right? So that's, that's how we have to look at it, unfortunately. Mm. Mm. It's, that's, that's very in interesting to kind of think about it like that, but that is I exactly how it is. It, as, as we're looking at all of the 
um, uncertainty surrounding what's going on between Russia and Ukraine and other ones. For, for someone with, with your experience um, and, and knowledge base, is there something that um, would be an indicator to you uh, that would kind of kind of open your eyes and kind of be like that, oh, sh kind of moment, like that's, that's, a, that's a much bigger problem or, or, or that, if, if Russia does that or someone else does that, is there some of those indicators that maybe the layperson who's just kind of following the news stories might not catch is like, uh, that, that's yeah. a you know, I, I think we've already hit that point with all these oh, really? ransomware okay. attacks, but it hasn't really been nation state, um, at least from what I've seen. Yeah. The other challenge is, um, I think it was Lloyd's in, in the UK. I posted this on my LinkedIn, so I'm sure you, both of you probably saw it, but they are mm -hmm. no longer paying out insurance premiums for nation state cyber attacks. And that changes the game even more because now you have folks who are investing in cyber insurance. Now it's like, well, this country just hacked me, stole my intellectual property. Why won't you guys cover that? Right. It opens up a, such a bigger challenge in how we're going to be pursuing this. It's like what we do when um, we're doing a patent infringement lawsuits uh, with the Chinese government because they file everything in China. They don't do it internationally. And then when you're filing it, they're like, no, it's in China. We're only going to agree to this. You have to pay us whatever licensing fees. When here in the US, it's first to file, right? So, um, you know, I think the direction we need to go is we need to have something defined at the UN level that sets that expectation, has everyone agree upon, set what that clear, clear criteria is um, from what is what is a violation, what is, um, you know, a hostile act, what is an act of war, things like that. So we at least have common thresholds so we're able to respond. And then we're able to respond in a fair manner because if if we get hit by North Korea, honestly, it's like us getting scratched, let, let's be honest. But if it's another country, say like, um, I don't know, say South Korea, they're going to respond quite differently. How do you balance out that playing field from what is that actual effect? And that's really what it what it has to come down to. We, I, in my opinion, I don't think we've defined that. Um, there, as you, as you talk about these things and, and you, you do that stuff, I, I keep coming back to the, the emotion of it and, and where you're coming from, because when I'm seeing it from abroad, watching, you know, TV clips and, and all of that stuff, it, it really, it creates a natural disconnect. Um, and, and maybe the first time, you know, you see a, a, the aftermath of a, a bombing or the rubble, it, it's shocking, but you, you become desensitized to it very quickly. Um, as, as we're talking about very high level, um, very intricate strategies of warfare within cyber, um, I keep coming back to some of these Ukrainian citizens who are using some of the most, um, I don't know, antiquated technology, Molotov cocktails, putting, you know, just, just metal in the middle of streets and things like that. How, how does, how does almost that guerrilla warfare kind of play into a, a world of all of this high level cyber, but, but then at some point there's still that individual, there's still that emotion and that decision at that level right there. Yeah. So look at what the invasion plan was, right? They had a bunch of tanks coming through. Yeah. That, that, that's why. So it's a commensurate response to what the action is. Um, the Russians know that because what they're trying to do is they're, in my opinion, I think they're just trying to get more land and they're trying to rebuild what the Soviet Union was, right? That's what the effect is. So they are going to try to put boots on ground. That's why you're seeing this very uh, manual effect. Now, say if the sanctions, we can talk about the sanctions, right? So <laughs> say we're putting these sanctions. Now, the Russian government, say they go ahead and hack um, the, the British government, the Canadian government, the United States government, right? That's a little different because that's saying, hey, you guys did this to me. I'm going to respond back like this. Now, mm. is Even that going to- 
even though they were said, if you do that, if you move into Ukraine, we're going to do this. It, it, that's where I always get from. I'm like, you cause it, you started it. Like <laughs> Once again, it's the emotion, right? You have to get yep, yep. deep into the psychological yep, yep. state of the individual and what's driving their actions. And unfortunately, this is what you're seeing. And this, this has some roots with, with the whole idea of communism. That's essentially yeah. what it is. So in, in a nutshell, you know, it, it is being used as a tool. Mm. And it's being used as a tool to deploy actions where traditional forms of warfare cannot be executed on, you know, as, as a starting mm. point. So um, that's what I foresee. Um, you know, I think we're going to start seeing some really interesting situations occur. Um, not only within our, our critical infrastructure, but just organizations, you know, luckily things have been kind of quiet, but, um, you know, I, I think it's on its way. I mean, I'm involved with a lot of stuff right now with Abbott and trying to lock down our manufacturing sites. And then uh, just other conversations I'm having with, uh, you know, the uh, with InfraGuard, the FBI, DHS, you know, how do we identify what exactly is going on? Uh, but at the same time, we don't know. And another conversation we were having is, a lot of the things that they're doing are commonly known vulnerabilities, like the CVE database, like this is what they're using. They're not going to. What is that, Arvin? I'm sorry. I'm, oh, so the CVE database is essentially um, a database that provides the uh, most documented uh, vulnerabilities that we're seeing. So like um, okay. vulnerabilities related to like uh, Windows 7, right? Because we're no longer okay. patching it. Like that's what they're doing. They're using basic stuff because unfortunately we we've become complacent. Like. Um, my machine for my work still, you know, I still need to reboot it with the updates. I'm just getting lazy because I have like 20 screens up, right? <laughs> it's it's like that kind of thing where they can drive an exploit, right? And that's yeah. what they're doing. They're not going to do their their secret sauce um, exploits immediately. They're going to do that as a last ditch option because once you play that card, um, then you know what to look for from the indications. So. That's where we're going. I mean, essentially, we have to lock down our, our basic stuff, and we have, we have to build some basic defense first, and then from there, you know, build up that level of of defense. And then when they try to be a little more aggressive with their tactics, it becomes a little bit easier to to determine what those tactics are, um, what is the justification and reasoning behind it. And then once again, even if they're doing those more extreme um, types of uh, cyber effects, then you typically know it's they're going after something specifically. Mm -hmm. When I when I think of warfare, um, I, I go back to the the great film of A Few Good Men and and the the final like you know uh, a moment where it's like you want me on that wall, you need me on that with that great monologue and, and still one of Aaron Sorkin's best writings. But when I think of cyber. I really struggle with where that wall is. Like in that movie, there was a very specific, there's a there's a base, we're protecting that, we know where it is. How do you, how do you even go about defining that when- There is no wall. Seems, okay, so, so that's no a wall. fair- that's a fair statement to think that, yeah, no, it's just it, it is It is all open and it's unfortunately laws, legalities are the ones that, that are driving it until we get that unified legal language defined, it's, it's always going to be as ambiguous as it is. Wow. Okay. Well, that that's really um, positive. And then when when we keep adding more and more pieces to you know the Internet of Things and all that, it just makes it more vulnerable. It compounds right? even more and more and more. <laughs> yeah. It like uh, for example, um, like when I was in Denver, I was controlling my my house temperature to make sure my dad turned the heat on. From you know, I have the Honeywell appliance. But guess what? It's username and password based. Now, how easy would it be to um, crack that username and password by breaking into the Honeywell database? Now you have an access point into the router because you can get those settings. Then now you have access to the full network and then you can go like, okay, what assets do we, does he have into the network? And then fair game, right? But once again, that, that's the challenge is we're, we're becoming too heavily reliant on technology and we're becoming complacent. I have this chart I have to look for up I posted on my LinkedIn, it shows like how many characters uh, of your password can be, you know, and how long it takes for it to be broken. It's like anything like under six characters is like instantaneous. And then like anything under 10 is like only a matter of seconds or minutes. So wow. 
you know, and and now how we're how many at, of us have have a password that's ten characters long? Like I, I think oh, I mean I I do, I'm, but well, of course you should. If you don't, I'm gonna be real scared. But I'm sitting over here like I gotta go change some of my passwords, man. I mean, there there are some other bad habits too, like reusing passwords and you know different variations of that, which doesn't help. But um, that's the human condition. Then you know you're looking at it from you know, how connected are we in today's age? And, and, and that's really what it comes down to. And, you know, like I said, unfortunately, we've become very complacent on technology and it's used to drive good, but also to drive bad, you know, what, what we perceive to be bad. So, um, yeah, I mean, only time will tell. I mean, we, um, I'm, I'm getting pulled into a lot of other conversations to, you know, help define some of these efforts, uh, some of these activities. Um, but it, it's a question that a lot of folks are asking. So um, it, and this has definitely um, woken up a lot of people to say, hey, we got to step in and um, drive some change, drive some efforts to be able to, uh, to clean things up. I, I, had, I had one thought, um, and, and this may be like, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe we touch upon this last time that we talked, but um, now that people and like for the works for big, big companies are allowed to work remotely rather than go physically to work in in a building how does that plays into the the soul uh, <laughs> this whole situation you were talking about how much more difficult it becomes to actually secure stuff yeah i mean so most organizations have implemented vpns right so yeah. that that's the first one um but you know, I raised a couple of questions to DHS around you know bandwidth of of the networks in in the municipalities. Can they handle this kind of workload from a typical denial of service? But then also, how are they securing their wireless networks from outside um, exfiltration? Because even though you have the VPN, I can still get into your asset and still be able to see what's there. I might not be able to directly connect to the corporate network unless I put in a lot of effort. But if you have certain things on your laptop and I do enough research on LinkedIn to find out who you are, oh, yeah. you could do a very, very targeted attack. So it's possible, you know, and, and a lot of records are still open. Like you can do a search on anybody and see where they live. Um, and, and that was the, you know, the biggest transformation for a lot of organizations. How are we providing guidance to be able to um, secure not only their computing assets, but the assets that are providing the services back to uh, allow them to do what they need to do. Uh, one of my buddies, he, um, his mom actually deals with a lot of PII. So they actually gave her a specialized router that had an embedded firewall in there. But for him, it killed all the, uh, the bandwidth so he couldn't play video games. And I'm like, just, just split, the, split the internet connection so you have one cable going to that one and then other ones going to your Xbox, problem solved, right? <laughs> I'm like, why are you using that as your main router? But you know, once again, it's you have to know the technology to be able to make it work effectively. That, that's the other challenge. A lot of folks just plug it in and say, all right, I'm good, you know, move on yeah. with life. Um, it, you know, security, unfortunately, it just has never been, well, previously has not been an important consideration. However, now it is changing and, and we, are, we are learning from the, the reactionary versus the, the proactive nature. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. As you, uh, yeah. and, I, and I know, I know we, you know, you, we've used an, enough of your time. So I want to, I want to be cognizant of that. But as you continue to think like there, there's these legal definitions being defined and, and would, would probably give us a little bit more structure for, for what's going on. Is there something that you personally would, would like to see implemented? Just even a small thing, something that we're like, ah, this would make a, a better world in the cyber warfare era. Yeah, um, uh, one thing I would like to see is a national cyber policy. You know, each state has their own little variation of it. Um, mm -hmm. We don't have one enacted at the federal level. I, I think having that would really solidify a lot of the actions that we are seeing that are resulting on, you know, to organizations and companies headquartered here. Um, like for CNA, when they got hit with that ransomware attack, Illinois doesn't have a cyber policy. They're actually trying to implement a policy on biometrics, but it, it has nothing to do with like actual cyber. Now, if we have something at the national level, at the federal level, we can say, 
not only does the state one come into play, but also at the federal level. And here are the commensurate legal ramifications as a result of that. Because now you're impacting not only a company of doing business, but the country for it, for it to do its uh, economic trip. So that's something I would like to see. That's something I've socialized for many years. I'm still socializing it. Um, I just joined the Association of U.S. Cyber Forces. You know, it's a nonprofit think tank out of Maryland. It's right by the fort. So, um, you know, we're, we're working with them to hopefully see if we can get some more legislation pushed out. You know, that's something I'm still doing as much as I can. But that is essentially our next step. And then how do we integrate that with the NIST standards that we have? And NIST has been doing a lot of work in establishing those frameworks. Um, you know, we still have some work to do with CMMC, but um, I think that's our first starting point, being able to quantify what that impact is. And once we understand that impact, then we can start defining what are those appropriate response, uh, response activities that we need to take to be able to send a message of, hey, you did this, this is wrong. We're going to kind of, you know, it's like you punched me, I'm going to punch you back and then, you know, move mm-hmm. on with life versus it's like, oh, man, you pulled a pulled a gun on me. Well, you know, now I'm going to pull mine out and, you know, mm-hmm. take them down. That proportional right? response. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Okay. Wow. Um, well, Arvin, uh, truly, as always, whenever I, I talk with you, um, I never walk away feeling better. Um, but I, I think that that's a that's a good thing. And for all of our listeners, you know, truly, and it's easy to say this, but I think reaching out to our representatives and, and kind of pushing that stuff, and when we can talk about it and say, hey, these these are things that are are impacting individuals and and businesses and companies. And if we keep ignoring them, it can it can cause a problem. So, Arvin, Godspeed with with your work and. and what you're doing oh we're trying i know we need it (laughs) trying right you know there's only so many hours in the day but you know hopefully (laughs) hopefully this talk doesn't uh, keep you up at night right yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah, we're yeah we're already up doing other things yeah i know trust me (laughs) exactly exactly so arvin thanks again and for all of our listeners thanks for tuning in to the gateway brought to you by niu's college of business please make sure to subscribe to the gateway on spotify apple Podcasts, anywhere you you find podcasts we're there it definitely supports us to continue doing this stuff and i want to thank you all for listening again arvin have a great night biagio my friend have a great night everyone thank you have a good day have a good day